Hi, I'm Don Armand, and I'm listening to Two Locks and a Cox. Two Locks and a Cox. From Devon's Radio X. Bonjour, ça va tout le monde? C'est episode 11 à deux, deuxième ligne et un cox. That's uh, Two Locks and a Cox, episode 11, for those that don't speak French. Um, welcome, my name is Chris Bentley. I'm joined in the studio today by Don Armand, England international, Exeter Chief superstar, and absolute legend of the game. On the line, we've got Rob Kitson and Ian Dunstan, both live in France. Coxie is ingratiating herself into New Zealand as she prepares for the WXV, so she won't be with us. She'll be back next week. On the pod this week, on the field, the quarterfinals. Absolute rugby heaven for everyone. Exeter Chiefs beating Saracens. Complete and utter rugby utopia for all Chiefs fans. Off the field, once again, referees are getting a bit of chat. And then in the bin, Worcester women have just gone bust. Let's get to it. Two locks and a cox. Welcome, everybody. How are we all doing? Yeah, good, good. Very uh, nice to be on. Yeah, very good to Amazing. be in the studio. Amazing. I'm in Nice. Trying to, trying to just drag on a few extra days in Nice. It's, uh, it's exciting here still. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. What I want to do is we've got our special guest in the studio, Don. I was a bit lonely because everyone's left me. So, Don, tell us what, what you're up to now. What's going on? Um, I mean, up to lots. But my main focus, I suppose, is the leadership development business that I got. Uh, trying to learn that, trying to, well, not learn that, trying to modernize it, trying to bring it into my own identity and all that kind of stuff. Learn to sell the other stuff you don't really learn in rugby. Yeah. Trying to get into the room. Once I'm in the room, it's fine. Yeah. Just trying to get there. That's the, that's the challenge. And, and you've moment. also, you've also got a magnificent accountability on your Instagram. Every day you have an ice bath. <laughs> yes. Uh, I want to essentially champion consistency. So if I've got to champion it, I've got to be showing it. And every time I want to go away from actually putting the posts up and just do it myself, you always get people go, I really need to see that today. That's really helped me. And I go, oh, okay, so there's a bigger purpose to doing those other than just trying to be vain. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. no. I mean, we, we, we meet for breakfast every now and then and you, you had that little point about move the dial. And, and move I, the I, needle. I move the needle. And I yeah. texted you about that. I said, Don, that really resonated. Do you, yeah. get, do you get a lot of people going, Don, what you just did really resonated. Yeah, and it's surprising because like, I'm like, uh, you, you see the person mocking a post, like an ice bar thing. thing. I'm like, you don't understand what happens on the other side of someone posting is you get a lot of, honestly, when we talk about mental health and how big a pandemic ap, ep, epidemic. Ep, epidemic it is at the moment, yeah, see that? Um, it's the small things that make a big difference that we that we try and think, oh, maybe I don't, maybe no one needs to see that because you always have that someone that's, that's struggling that'll bring down someone doing something good yeah. because that's just how they see things, just part of banter, part of society, yeah. all that. But actually it takes a bit of courage to go, I mean, this is what I'm doing because what you don't see is the amount of people that message going, I really needed to see that today. That really made a difference. So even through some Ray walking around and someone will go up to him and be like, I saw Don's post today. It changed my day. And yeah. she'll come home and feed me. I'm like, flip, I was actually only going to post those for about a week and then mm. move away from it because the ice was exciting. It's yeah. when I first started. And then now I've got to carry on doing it. Yeah, but, but you've, you've, you've always been legit. And, I, and I'll go back. But we'll get into the rugby in a minute. But I, I just want to have a quick chat with Don. I, I remember when I was on the commercial team at Chiefs and we'd played a game. I can't remember if the team won or lost, but Rob dug the, the team out. He had a right go at them. And I was very lucky that I'd be down touchline with the sponsors and what have you. And as soon as the game was over, you went into the coach's office and said to Rob, this was the wrong message. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I would never have dreamed of doing that. In my day, I was like, if the coach dug me out, I'd, I'd feel really bad and then I'd be fighting on Tuesday. Yeah. Whereas you, you went in and spoke to the coaches and I was sort of stood by the door earwigging and I've got big ears so I can hear. And you're like, that was the wrong message to give to us, Rob. And, and, and you were able to, to, to speak truth to power. Yeah. And you've always risen above. So the, the way you've gone makes perfect sense for the man you are. 
Yeah, I appreciate. I mean, it's good to hear those things because those are the kind of bits you sometimes forget. I think that was Sale, and we lost. Yeah, go on then. Yeah, that was, and then we we shouldn't have lost that game to Sale, and he he gave the guys a bollocking yeah. in the change room, and I can't remember. I think it was about maybe it was particularly a message that I'd said afterwards. It couldn't, but it was. But but I had I, to go I, and stand I, up. It was my first experience of a player immediately after the furnace going into the coaching and look coach I think you got that wrong because yeah. my, 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 I'm old school if the player and the coach argue the player loses yeah. it doesn't matter yeah, but, I mean, you were able, but, but you didn't sort of say you got you were able to communicate in a way that Rob ex- accepted it yeah. and you had a conversation whereas with me I was so blunt I'd have been like you're wrong and, and but I suppose it was the, it was the mantle that I brought over from like if I'm in a, and I happen to be captain that, that weekend mm. like if I'm in the captain position I don't see the coach as above me and I don't see the players as below me either. Like you're yeah. the you're the, the lynch, but you're the equal, the person holding the pillars together. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a disrespectful challenge. I think it's like the same with my kids now. I don't parent them in a way that they should just be heard and not seen or yeah. seen and not heard. Oh, you're getting that wrong. Yeah. No, but <laughs> they can challenge me. And I say to them, I say, you're allowed to challenge me because yeah. I don't want them to like yeah. be brought up and if they just get told what they do, like if they, we should have conversations that if you say something and I don't understand why I should be able to challenge that yeah. that's the whole point is that, right. and then right. it's got to be on Rob to where, can, where can people find you if they if they want some leadership help where can they find you and then we're going to get into the rugby oh, LinkedIn or Instagram or don at samsonarmond.co.uk please there you go yeah. right. so if anyone wants to talk about that right let's get to France so first and foremost Ian are you still alive I am still alive. I am here and well. I just say, Don, the key thing that you you said there, and you may not know it, you went modernise what <laughs> uh, what people are doing. And you know what? I've listened to people in management roles repeating the same stuff I learned at college twenty odd years ago and at yeah. university. And yeah. actually, what you're doing is is bringing a modernisation into uh, into your everyday, and that's fantastic. But yes, I'm in France. I'm in Nice. I stayed over for a few days. My wife told me to stay and go to. Uh, Paris next week, so I might uh, catch the uh, TGV up to Paris and see what happens. We'll see what happens. Wait, you took you took the smallest bag and you took budgie smugglers as your only boxes, so you're washing them in the sink every day. Like, and, and in the and in the sea and in the swimming pool, so you know fresh pants every day is the way forward. Well done for washing them. Um, so, yeah. so Ian, like I got into Kitson last week. I wanted some tales from the trenches. Give us some tales from the trenches, Ian. What's going on? I, do you know what the, the the stadium? I was lucky. I went to both games, and on the on the Sunday, I actually uh, was invited into hospitality, which was absolute carnage with a free bar with champagne and Merval rosé, which is one of my favourites. But uh, nonetheless, do you know what the the, the Wales game was was magnificent, uh, uh, and the atmosphere. The Argentinians actually outsung the Welsh. They they you know they pretty much dominated the Welsh in the stadium, which was incredible. Um, uh, and then to go down into Nice to watch the uh, into Marseille, sorry, to watch the evening games uh, was was very special. And then, well, Sunday, wow! But I tell you what, the atmosphere in that uh, in the stadium um, uh, was toxic. It, it, genuinely, if I wasn't a big old unit, I probably would have felt slightly intimidated. You had Welsh guys just shouting in your ear for everything about every decision that was going wrong, um, uh, and that they didn't mar the game at all. But you know what? It really Really was uh, England and us against the world? Right, I think England. Were, yeah, there's there a video of the boys dressed as Napoleonic soldiers doing some WWE impressions. It's it's it, and then there's been there's been whispers of it being uncomfortable. But I want to let's talk to the rugby sage Rob Kitson. Rob, tell us tell us your take on the let, let's go with England first. 
Well, I, 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 just one second. I'm just intrigued by Don's talk about ice ice baths, and and <laughs> it, it appears to me that maybe Ian's been in a in a sort of vat of rosé for a week. Is that is that does that the same as have the same effect? Is it chilled, chilled anyway, you, I, I think you're not far off. Yeah. Um, anyway, no, I think it's it's been well, it's been extraordinary, isn't it? This World Cup for from a lot of reasons, really. I mean, England. I, you could argue that England have been waiting for this all along. They knew they were going to get out of the pool, sort of, or they had a pretty good chance of getting out of the pool, and they've sort of been aiming to peak for sort of later in the tournament. I mean, I, you know, Fiji were Fiji really took it to them, didn't they? Um, yeah, I, uh, I felt Fiji played within themselves to start with, and then slowly started to release the shackles and play as they could. But mm. but I think the occasion got to them more. Whereas England, were, we've I've mentioned throughout this part, England are just so stubborn. Mm. Mm. No, they are. They are, and 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 actually, they. You know, Manu Tulangi played better than he has done for a long time. I thought. I thought he. he, he told you was a nuisance again. So you know, Ben Earl has, has been playing out of his skin all. You know, the whole the whole tournament, hasn't he? Um, like to hear Don on 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 Ben Earl, but yeah, I, I they yes, I mean, you, teams. I think they they get on the players. They're they're good guys. They I think they you know they like being in each other's company. I think they've just been. You know, restricted, and it's just—I don't know. There's, there's something that hasn't been right, but I think they get to this point. And they go, "Do you know what? We're only one game away. Let's give it everything." And at that point, yeah, things start to change a bit, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I always look at a at a how a team performs towards the latter end of a game because that's when, you know, the first half is how they've been coached. What's the mental state of the team? Um, are they prepared to take risks? And what do they do when they make mistakes? And then the last twenty is when you usually see they're either losing and they're playing really well, or they're ahead. And how do they respond to that? So when you look at how the guys free themselves up as the game goes on, it's probably where they start to build the confidence and, and forget some of the judgments that happen off the field or some of the, like, depending on what measurables they use or how they get coached. Like that stuff really interests me. Um, mm. And just to touch on that Ben Earl point, I think he's going to get better and better as he goes because he's always had that raw talent, that like speed, the strength, the versatility. But then sometimes you have to see a guy's character develop and deal with the emotions at the high level and, you know, how do they go about their persona on the field so I think he's got that natural talent and the more game time he gets with top end teams like England and Saris I think he's got a long long term career in him well he, I mean he, he wasn't on the he certainly wasn't one that they, they've had starting at the beginning of the tournament no and he's it, through through sheer grit and determination he's now first name on the team sheet yeah I mean he puts if you think about his all round game puts mm. in some tackles and he can actually carry very well he's yeah. quick so like versatility if he's performing 8 out of 10 on the tackles 8 out of 10 on the carries yeah. and he's competing with someone that's maybe a 10 out of 10 tackler but 4 out of 10 carrier who are you going to pick you're going to pick someone that can be more consistent across the board yeah well, let, well let's stick, let's stick with England but let's also say across to South Africa France because we'll, we'll, we'll bring these two together Ooh. so South Africa France uh, South Africa just ripping up convention all the way through. I mean, everyone's spoken about taking the mark and going for a scrum, stacking all of your players on one side of the pitch for the crossfield kick. Is it madness? Is it rugby genius? Um, Rassi Erasmus, the floor is yours, guys. Have you seen Have you seen the video of Rassi before the game? Watching them. In the warm-up. And then the French guy comes yeah. over and watches back and yeah. he couldn't, couldn't hold his nerve and walk yeah. back. Yeah. That's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, the only t- the only have t- you t- ever seen 
the scrum taken from from that deeper kick. I mean, it was a long way away, wasn't it? I don't but, think but, I, but, I can't remember ever seeing it. But Erasmus speaks afterwards, and he said that France liked to play this ping pong, kicking the ball along, and 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 they almost take a break with it. And and the whole point was the pattern disrupt. He was going to do something that, that changed them out of there because the, the, they would have prepared for kicking tennis. And ultimately, somebody will make the mistake and we've got our position. And Rassi went, well, no, what we're going to do is we're going to rip it up. We're going to make them come and we're going to scrummage them to bits. And they're not used to that. And, and we're taking them to uncomfortable places. And you're like, I get that. That makes sense. No, well, just the only thing I was going to say was that they were smart. I mean, think little things. Cheslin Colby char- charging down that uh, kick of Thomas Ramos. And he, uh, in Le Keep, you know, the French newspaper over here, they're... He was making the point. Look, I I played with him for six years at uh, Toulouse. I, I I know exactly how he kicks for goal, and so they they didn't leave many stones unturned. I don't think. No, they didn't. And that Did well, that was the, game. the sack. The sacks come back. Samoa sacked England's last week, didn't they? And uh, and the sacks now back. There were a few teams doing a one man sack on the line out. Yeah, but uh, see, Atoji, Atoji's yeah. got to take it to the next level because it's one thing sacking the Fijians, which no disrespect, probably aren't going to be as tight a unit. But when you've got Eben Estebeth coming down from the line out and he's being lifted by like Ox Niche and um, Malher. Ox Niche. Yeah. Is that the right to say? Ox and Chair. Ox and Chair. Sorry. All right. well, I'm, I'm Scouse. It's difficult. He's Ox Niche. He's that lad Ox Niche. Well, you, need, you need really long grass. So you say, sir, he was on the ground. Yeah. Something like that. Or very long studs. The studs were in contact. But um, yes, exactly. so, so let, right. We, we haven't got a huge amount of time. What I'd like to do is look at England, South Africa as our first of the semi finals. And I'm going to pass to Don how he thinks this is going to play out. I mean, it's very hard to go against the momentum team. SA's lost the game, which is in their favour. You kind of, you bounce back from that and you realise that you don't want to win. You can learn from it. England hasn't lost the game. So that pressure is almost, it's, it's, it becomes an added element of pressure that even though they might not see it as that, it becomes this like, is the coach speaking to that? What's going on around the team? Um and yeah, I think Rusty's going to play a lot of mind games. And if he comes up with something, if he picks up the re- like the resilience element you've t- spoken about in the England team and figures out how to get under their skin, that can all come unraveled. Um, what it might play out is seeing how England boys react when that initial resistance plan becomes unraveled and actually then opening themselves up and playing to the way that they actually can. That would be interesting. Who they play in which position to. Um, right people, right seats, right player, right position. And, um, yeah, and Kitson, you're you're party to the party lines from all the teams. How are you seeing this game take place? Well, there, there is a theory that if um, sorry, sorry, you know, Rob, I love the fact that you've now just become Kitson. You, you like <laughs> you like Banksy and Madonna, and now Kitson. Isn't there that like yeah. uh, Faulty Towers, Listen. the guy that you see, is Manuel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I was I wasn't liking him to Manuel. I was like global icons, Don. <laughs> Manuel's global. Don's icon. a savage. Kitson, <laughs> carry on. He's got no problem from me. Put it that way, artistically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, no, there is a theory that you know, clearly, an early card or two uh, would help. You possibly. Need Need to have three cards for the entire Springbok front row, possibly, is uh, would, would be one way of um, stopping them. But no, I, I, it, again, I think that that first twenty minutes is massive, isn't it? I think, I think, you know, had France got away as they threatened to do to sort of 14, 17 points, you know, I, I'm not sure South Africa would have come back from that. So if you're England, you, you'd have to look at that and say England are not a bad side when they're ahead. Uh, it's just when they're behind that the problems start. So I, you know, particularly given. What happened in the 2019 World Cup final? Could, I just think that first could this be the itself. biggest redemption arc for Dan Cole? 
Like everyone <laughs> thought after the World Cup, that's him done. Are they are they going to keep him in? Because um, uh, Rassi's already said he thinks that it's going to be Carl Sinclair comes in at tight head. Yeah, it's a massive. I mean, it'd be pretty big redemption art for England. Full stop from from August, wouldn't it? I mean, it's a slightly shorter period, but blimey, can you know everybody's saying, "Oh, they, you, you've written us off." Say, say, says Steve Borthwick. Well, I don't think anybody's writing them off. They were just writing down the results. Mm. Um, it's as simple as that. But anyway, it, he's, been, yeah, he's been he's he's starting to get a bit of edge in his press conference, though, isn't he, Borthwick? Like almost pushing back a bit harder. Yeah, I, I, the, the, it's, it's there was the semantic better. with because Marcus Smith is 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 rolls off the bench. He's not been dropped, but just just little bits like that where he's leaning back into him. He's, he's not quite Eddie Jones or Rassi, but he's he's getting there. Well, you, you say that it, it would, you know Steve is is you know keeps his own counsel largely. I mean he's starting to make Owen Farrell look like Peter Ustinov. You know he's uh, <laughs> he's sort of yeah going down the very. Uh, let's just say, dour route with the media, which is fine. That's his, entirely his prerogative. But you, you do think, going back to what uh, Ian was saying, and the, the mood in the stadium, I think there is a disconnect between the team, how they're feeling, how the supporters look at them. Uh, you know, there's some empty tickets that have been you know, last week and I think this week as well. And I, I just think it, it wouldn't take much just to shift the, the, the PR dial a little bit, but that's maybe another subject. Well, yeah, well, go on then, Ian. You, you are boots on the ground. You're half rosé now and a quarter champagne and there's... Bu- 40%, 25% Ian left. What is the feeling like amongst the England massive that are floating around the south of France at the moment? I, I think they've still got this sort of quiet, instilled British confidence, but they know how good South Africa are. And like last week, you know, Joe Baker, if Ian says it's, good, it not, it's not going to rain, take an umbrella, because uh, only got 25% right last week. I mean, it was the right 25%, which was England uh, winning. But we did say in all the others, you can't write any team off. And South Africa would be foolish if they wrote England off, and they won't do that. So there's, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're here, they're staying in France. They're going to move up to Paris probably today, tomorrow, to take up the ambiance up there. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully, they can, you know, bring some noise and uh, and be that extra man. Um, but you, 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 alluded, uh, you alluded to the toxicity, and and it was it was audible, and that the commentators made a point of it when when Owen Farrell's name was announced. Everyone booed. And was that yeah, they, was they that did. was that English fans, or was that the fans of other nations that just happened to have semi final quarter final tickets? It was everybody else who wasn't English. I, I genuinely, you know, we had some Welsh guys behind us, uh, and I did actually at one time have to give him the look because it was it was just being an absolute nose. Um, uh, and that was you you could see it in the stadium. You could see it with everything, and you know that's fine being that. Uh, and afterwards, we shook hands and did everything else, uh, um, uh, you know, to sort of celebrate England's win. But you could really feel it. And you know what? When some people you know like if you really get in a toji's face and people like that he had his best game he's had for a long time and it could have been that sort of hatred that was fueling him right okay is it not is it not pantomime stuff you talk i mean i know what you're saying and i know there's obviously a couple of people who are, you know don't like england full stop who are in the ground but there is a pan it's like eddie jones you know people boo you know when when his face goes up on the screen well it doesn't necessarily mean it's oh look you know it, it becomes a what am i trying contagious doesn't it it's peculiar. It, it the the, the pantomimification of rugby union at the moment that's really taking place, isn't it? That's the introduction of social media, though, is we rely on it to grow the game, but the problem is it's not really regulated. So if you yeah. think about what you see transfers on a Facebook page and all the comments into what the game has become now, you get less and less people going, we shouldn't be talking like this, and you just get people, you get 13-year-olds saying, 
oh, this guy's useless. Yeah. And he's got 100 likes on him. I'm like, that 13-year-old's just repeating what his dad's been saying. Yeah. And well, you just, create this moment. Quick rabbit hole. You've played rugby for England. Did you get Did you get much hassle? What was it like? No, never. Did, did anyone, no, genuinely did Everyone just come Don, you're the best. Yeah. Oh, no, not like that. But just I didn't ever... <laughs> everyone loves you Don. Had, you had... I think the odd bit was, you know, when they start to look at stats and people that don't really understand how the, the whole game works mm. and they'll start to say this stat didn't look like this and I'm just like okay but mm. on the whole it wasn't I think I used to go out my way to make sure I didn't get that by yeah. signing autographs and making sure that you're giving back to the people and the fans and all that kind of such stuff such a good guy <laughs> such a good guy but it, I do think Signed it, it unravels Dom. some people yeah. it unravels some people and I think unfortunately players that look on social media for that kind of and you see it in the change yeah, room there, there might be a fullback that left, left the Exeter Chiefs quite recently that was hugely influenced by social media yeah, and, I, and, and, and people's yeah. perception of and people that don't matter to him yeah and giving those people air yeah then gives them a bit more power, yeah. and that's what I think is creeping into rugby. So it goes into the stadiums, mm -hmm. and there's the booing and stuff. I, I, when I first came to England, and I might have said it to you, it was like clapping off the pitch, amazing, mm -hmm. and the dead silence there was around kicks. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. But that's now starting to go away. Mm. And it's because there's a little bit less. There's probably the new era fans coming through. They've looked at how football does. They equate it the same thing. And then they're bringing those behaviours in across. Commercialisation of the sport. Don't yeah. get me started. Right. Um, <laughs> second second lot of quarterfinals. New Zealand, Ireland. Wales, Argentina. I tipped Argentina because I'm Christopher Llewellyn Evans. So I'm technically, I'm now from the Falkland Islands. And, <laughs> and Argentina are my team. But they're the tip. I think Michael Checker is, is. We've spoken about building the momentum into the competition, and they've got uh, what's his name, the Choco Barres, which is the best name. It's a great name. Yeah, especially when the Argentine commentators do it. Choco Barres. Just Choco. Yeah, but but anyway, he's he's a barnstorming centre, and um, I think for Wales, I'll throw this to Rob because I see he was the sage of rugby. I think Wales, it was just they've done really well. Bridge too far. The players just broke down at the end. Well, well, they did, but they should have. You know, they should have been best part of twenty points up. And and I, I I think they'll kick themselves up. You know, yes, they faded. Yes, they had lots of injuries at the end. Um, yes, they were a little. You know, they're forcing the game at the end clearly, and the and the scoreboard. Yeah, the, the, the final scores are They'll be really really disappointed with that. I thought. Yeah, they, they'd done so well because they were in a terrible state, and and Gatland did everything right, got all the boys right, but but obviously losing your your first choice fullback, your first choice 10, who was already crock starting the game, not having your reserve 10 and having to throw Costello in as a young buck. Was that the difference? Was it, was it just a bit of unfortune or, or should they have been less profligate with possession? Well, I mean, often they win those games, you know, and, and, they, and they, they, don't, they don't tend to sort of lose control in the way they did. So, yeah, I, I think there was definitely a, you know, Falato would have made a big difference. We always say that, but he would have done. Um, and yeah, I, I just... I, it is slim margins, though, isn't it? We we can we can think, oh, they should have done this, should have done that. But I thought all four games, to be honest, I thought the losing side had a you know made a massive contribution. And as I say, we sometimes just talk about the winners, don't we? But I, I think that in all four cases, the the losing teams were you know had had a huge part to play in it. Well, moving north, New Zealand and Ireland. You were in the state. Were you in the stadium for that one? Me, me? no, I was no, I was down in Marseille. You were down in Marseille, weren't you? So let's let's go New Zealand, Ireland. For me one of the best I had no skin in the game I had no interest but oh my god what a game what a game of rugby yeah. uh, well I, uh, we, we were all sat there and he goes gosh that, that's the best game we've seen for ages until of course the following evening it was even you know even better possibly um, no I, I I thought I mean again Ireland were, how close were they they were over the line held up by an inch or two mm. um, again I think you know you could say look Johnny Sexton's 
fantastic. He was clearly knackered at the end, wasn't he? Yeah. And um, I, I did enjoy the fact that the, 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 there's, there's reports on social media that Kiwi's getting back at Peter Omani, who'd said to Sam Kane he was a he was a, a crap Richie McCaw. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I heard him, so when, when when they beat New Zealand in New Zealand, uh, Mahoney was saying you, you're a crap Richie McCaw. Well, he, he got his just desserts, which is where you saw Johnny Sexton losing his head. Oh, yeah, you're well. falling down the social media rabbit hole. Oh, but look, I love this stuff. I, I can't help myself. So supposedly Rayco Aioni walked past him and went, um, four more years, mate. Enjoy, enjoy your flight home. Enjoy your flight retirement. home, yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, uh, uh, Brody Retallick also piled in. But anyway, I just I, I live for all of that sort of, you'll have to bleep this out, Brad, shousery. I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, the bleep's a bit late. But so, so New Zealand are through. <laughs> And New Zealand are playing Argentina. Ian, go on then, mate. It's you. You take this one away. Argentina are obviously going to win because I'm now backing them. I'm from the Falklands, and it's it's my home my home nation. But Argentina against New Zealand. How's it going? I think you should first of all check your history about the Falklands and Argentina. But uh, once we moved on from that, I mean, you know, the, the All Blacks just, we said, didn't we? You can never, ever write them off. They've got another gear. And I think you'll find that Argentina put a fair amount into last week. Uh, and, um, you know, they're not on the plane home, but uh, they're definitely going in as the underdogs. It's going to be a great, I reckon, first 20 minutes or so. And then, uh, yeah, start of the, uh, the end of the first half, they're going to start sort of shipping some points. And then, the last 20 minutes um, uh, will really see their fitness and the sort of, you know, the longevity of how long they've been here um, uh, creep in. But yeah, it's going to be New Zealand. And I don't think it's going to be a cricket score, but it's going to be a, a fairly dominant win. Don? I mean, an interesting take on that is just uh, looking at the Argentinian side. I mean, New Zealand haven't been consistently dominant, have they? So if they manage to find their footing, I think that they'll take away. But if they give Argentina a sniff, like I'm, I'm thinking the, the Argentinians the, the are going to beat New Zealand in New Zealand within a it's nearly a calendar year's time that they will not hold the fear. Yeah, but it's, the difference is it's now a semi final in the World Cup, so there's a bit more pressure. And pre, like, how does that pressure then tell on the Argentinians who haven't mm. been there before? Whereas, I mean, imagine most of that New Zealand camp where they're from under twenties and like that, this is where they live and breathe. Mm. Like that pressure comes on. They yeah, stay but, to but, their but, preps. But, but the the Argentines have got. Um, Michael Checker is a coach, and I think Michael Checker is one hell of a coach. Yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be a great game for the neutral. He yeah. is, but they'll be chasing the game, and that's where I think Argentina will make mistakes. So when they start chasing the game, and you saw it with uh, with Fiji, wasn't it? When they were chasing the game, they were amazing. Um, but then they made the mistakes that were there, and I think that's what's going to happen. They're very regimented, the All Blacks. Uh, and once they get going, the offloads and everything else, Argentina, just the defence won't I'm, be able to get back in shape. Hot take from Bentley. I think this is going to be the best of the semi-finals by a long way. I think the Argentines are going to live with them all the way through. I, and I think Thomas Lavanini is going to have a game for the ages. I think I think the back row for the the, the, the Argentinians is going to be magnificent. Uh, sorry, Brad, the rugby gods trying to get me on my my, my pronunciation of people from Australia, Argentina. Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get there in the end. Well, what about, so yeah. the the thing yeah. about the higher end games um, is that the teams that do well pounce on mistakes. They don't necessarily go out and create magic. So if Argentina, like like has been said, if Argentina are chasing the game. Mm. The mistakes they make will be capitalised on by New Zealand, who are going. To oh, be New Zealand are the kings of the turnover. Yeah, and that's what we've got. To, that's probably where the, the Argentinians naturally have that flair, mm. and they want to do things, but they will make mistakes, and those mistakes will be. The oh, well, I'm back in Choco Barres to be in the final. All right, so so let, let, <laughs> let's let's whiz round. Um, 
England, South Africa, New Zealand, Argentina. Don, what's the final going to be? South Africa, New Zealand. Ian Dunstan, what's the final going to be? Um, it's going to be South Africa and New Zealand. Robert Kitson, what's the final going to be? I'd love to say something different, but let's go South Africa, New Zealand, with a with a with a sort of caveat that Buffelli is the best goal kicker out there, and Argentina. I, I think, yeah, they might give it a bit of a racket. I, yes, I think the Argent the, the Argentinian people. Brad's giving me a smile there. I think they're going to stick in this game, and I think the New Zealanders are going to have to ask questions. And and, and the emotional intensity that New Zealand have had to produce to get through Ireland is going to is going to give them a hangover. I'm seeing Argentina win that, and and just for the hell of it, I'm going to say England make it an absolute dirge fest, kick the living hell out the ball. Courtney Laws has a game for the ages at line-out time. Atoji rediscovers his form. We managed to get parity at scrum time and somehow England beat them. So I'm it's saying England, England, Argentina, because those are the two teams that haven't had to invest as much mm. emotionally in the tournament and somehow they're going to sneak it. There you go. That's the hot take That'd from Ben. That'd be great. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on to <laughs> In The Bin because um, we're, we're running a quick podcast. So... Uh, is this creeping into the game, Rob Kitson? If we win, the referee was amazing. If we lose, the referee was obviously bad. It, yeah, I mean, completely it's creeping, creeping into the game. But I always think, I mean, Coxie's not here, is she? But, but if, if she was, it's an unbelievably tough job. We all know that. And we're, we're talking hair's breadths very often. Uh, I, I did think that France were a little bit un, unlucky, but then, you know, that's rugby, isn't it? Um, the, the game uh, yeah. is perfectly imperfect. There is no bias with the officials at the top level. I've, I've already said, you know, some of them almost appear autistic the way they, they, they this is the rule and this is what I'm doing. Ben O'Keefe, when Faf de Klerk tried to oh. win the penalty, and he went, mate, you, your man was miles away. You just threw it at him to win a penalty. No, you're having a scrum. And Fafta it was like, Fafta. that's perfect. Law, yeah. Chris, law. What? You said you said rule. It's a law. Oh, it's the, law. the thing is, as we've said before on the Keith. podcast, that, that the game, the game of rugby, pretty much every single play could be illegal, and you could put law back at it. So the bit that people pick up on social media are the bits that they see mm. that work to their narrative, uh, and that's what it is. And I've been following the social media, and you can see sort of thirty posts about what what laws and how the referee got it wrong, and then one person jumping on and backing the referee, saying actually this is it. But you've got to remember they are a direct to give us the show that's what they're doing yeah I agree with that I agree with that I, th I think also it's one of those where when you give something a platform it then will grow and as soon as you start giving any referee debate a platform on social media or whether England rugby defends yeah, they, I, I, like you give that a platform and it grows and it becomes but, but the broadcasters having Nigel Owens in the bunker questioning decisions like the yeah. decision decision and like Ian said and, and he corrected me quite rightly the game has laws right the interpretation that the referee has got today, that's what he's going with. He's consistent in that. If there's inconsistency, we've got a problem. But within each game, they've been pretty consistent. Yeah. You know, there was the talk about um, Porter with the scrummaging angle. Well, the referee made that decision at the beginning of the game. It's on you to change your angle. Because if, if you're not getting it right, and one of the things I've heard in commentary so much is the picture that they're presenting to the referee. They're all talking about the pictures that are being presented. And, like, yeah, and oh. referees are human beings. Yeah. So the, not the, if, if you're if you're doing that and the referee's saying, that's what I'm seeing, change the picture. Yeah. On the players. Any, any further any further anecdotes or are we going to go out the bin and we're going to go well, to Only that it'll be interesting to see who they pick for the final to, to referee it and I'd, you know, I'd have thought Wayne Barnes hasn't got a semi-final which must give him him or, or Luke Pearce a good chance of getting the final if it, if England aren't in it, mind. So, uh, uh, England, I, think, it. I think it will be Wayne Barnes um, because it's probably his last World Cup, isn't it? And they want to go out. Luke might have, uh, you know, maybe two more in him, so. 
Mm. Well, it's, it's going to be because we, we had this with Coxie. I'm assuming that the two semi-final refs won't be making it to the final. Is that is that? I don't know what the precedent is there. I think that's pretty much normally what happens. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's Barnes for the final unless England make it, which I think England will. So then it'd be Christoph. Um, or oh, what's what's the French referee? Reynal? Is it Reynal? Reynal. Matthew Matthew, Matthew Reynal. Reynal. Ma- Ma- sorry, Ian's in France. Matthew Reynal. It's Sir. Sir. <laughs> sir. You call him Sir. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to our final topic. Uh, in the bin. Worcester Warriors women have, um, unfortunately, Cube International that was that were putting the money in behind them have just said they're not going to fund them and they're going bust. Uh, so that's now, is it five rugby teams in the last calendar year near and give or take? Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? And this actually has, you know, effect on friends of ours, or doesn't it? Because uh, oh, yeah. Tony Yap, to Tony Yap, and um, Steve Halsey and Matt Kavezic have just gone in as their breakdown and, coach. Yeah, yeah. so you know that that's that's three friends who are all now going to be looking for looking for new jobs, and uh, just the, oh, I, did you see it? Did, did you see it coming? Did they see it coming? I mean, you know, times are hard out there for businesses. They they've obviously made a business decision, knowing how hard this would be taken, how much of a hammering they'd take. Um, but it just shows that the, the the rugby needs to be funded by the RFU more than having uh, well, you know, yeah, having a does, rich. Does it, uh, need, benefit. does it need to be funded, or do players need? And I, I'm pleased we've got a player who's just retired. Do players need to be a bit more realistic and understanding? Of what their what their remuneration is, and that they've just released the the salaries over the previous the 2021, 21, 22 seasons, and showing the median salaries, which is not a fair indicator because it's saying the average salary is at this, but actually that's that's swollen because you've got like your George Pietaus on a million quid and what have you, and you've got some some young local boys will be on twenty five to forty thousand pounds playing Premiership rugby. I think the disparity in the salaries is a bit shocking. Mm-hmm. Like some guys playing in and out Prem games, but because they happen to be on a junior contract are they'd be better off going and doing some packing at Sainsbury's and getting more time. Like it's these guys that get taken advantage of. I think we look at the wrong area in terms of like looking at the salaries. It should be rugby as a business model and how that's run. I don't think it's run very well. I think there's a lot that sport can learn from business and this is what I've learned by going into businesses. There's a lot that business can learn from sport. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that it's necessarily run well as a business model. So when we try and expand it and say the extra pressure that the women's game put on it, like it's a shame because the women's rugby going under has put pressure on people that have mortgages. Mm. But you have these promises and, and these expectations and ambitions that are not like found founded in any sustainable kind of model. And I think that's where the issue is. Kitson, is this the last <laughs> rugby club going bust? Are we going to see more? Oh, gosh, that's... Um... I mean, just fingers crossed for everybody as I share those sentiments about about Whistler. I I I think Don's absolutely hit the nail on the head. It's it, the, the it's about the business of rugby, which isn't working, hasn't been working for a while. And I don't, again, I'm not sure there's been the vision and just crying out for some vision at the top, a ten a ten year plan, people who can force that through, force it through, you know, drive it through. Um, I, I just, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little bit. If you said, are there any going to be more clubs um, going bust, men and women? Uh, I, I, I'd be hand on heart. You have a horrible feeling there might be another one or two out there, but I don't know. Mm. It's, uh, it's an indictment, and it, it's peculiar. We've got feast and famine at the moment. There's the, there's the feast of the rugby world cup and the opulence, and Ian's in hospitality, drinking champagne and. And his favourite brand of rosé. I didn't realise you could have a favourite brand of rosé. I thought you just drank rosé. But then, obviously, I'm a heathen. Um, and, 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 and there we have it. So, guys, look, we've got the World Cup semi-finals are coming this weekend. I'm very excited. We've done our tips for the top 
Uh, we're gonna we're gonna close this this episode with a fascinating interview from uh, the Georgian national team, Ed Barry. We'll put that on in a moment. But 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 any final thoughts or interjections from you guys before we we go across to Ed Barry? I'm just really pleased to have done this because now I don't have to pay my tax to séjour because uh, that's my tourist tax because I'm working. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up, Ian. <laughs> well, from out here, I, I, I just yeah, the, the, that Chiefs result on on Saturday was uh, was amazing, and um, you know, well. well oh God, yeah, we didn't do the Chiefs. Holy <laughs> guacamole, guys! We got. I want to get to Ed Barry, but the extra Chiefs bat. They battered Saracens. I mean, they battered them. Nigel Ray, your boys took one a hell of a beating. Mark McCall, I'm awfully sorry. You got battered. Record defeat in the history of Saracens. What a glorious thing. I will time check this. When I put this out, I'll tag Saracens and say, listen from this moment, your boys got served. And I don't care. I've watched the highlights three or four times. It was just incredible, wasn't it? Oh, but, but, but running the gun team at the beginning of uh, the Premiership Cup paid dividends Saracens were undercooked Chiefs were absolutely flying Rob gave the boys the week off they they enjoyed their week off too much so they had a week leading in having been beat by Bath with Rob battering them and then they just turned up eating raw meat just killing people and it was glorious to see <laughs> Kitson did you manage to catch it? Well I've caught I've caught I mean, they did look you know they, they're flying as you say absolutely flying Josh Hodge is on you fire know. your defence is terrified yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, no, it looks 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 great, and as I say, I I really hope it's a good Premiership season because, as I say, it needs to be for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, we just want Exeter to batter everyone. We need that. We need a really strong <laughs> got game. One eye. With the World Cup, the gates, you know, we know that they were going to be down slightly. So, putting a result like that, let's hope that really pumps the gate for the home games. Mm, yeah, I think so. All right, then, guys, look, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it there. I want to get on to Ed Barry. Thank you very much for everyone joining in. Episode arms. Don, final word with you. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Everyone tune in, click subscribe, like, share this to get this podcast out there. The guys are doing some good work. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, Around the World in 80 Minutes, Rob Kitson's magnificent book. Do look it up. It is a testament to the game of rugby union. We're on to Ed Barry. Two locks and a cox. Fresh from the Georgian World Cup national team at the Rugby World Cup. Ed, I think we have... To, welcome to the pod. Welcome to Two Locks and a Cox. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Thank oh, yeah. you. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, we can't see you. We're only here. So, look, let, let's begin at the beginning. I'd like your origin story, how you found yourself as an Englishman, I, I'm assuming you're an Englishman, working with the Georgian national team. Yeah, it's, it's a uh, yeah, bit of a story. Um, so, my my background, um, I was rowing at Leander Rowing Club in, in Henley-on-Thames. Um, I'd, I'd come to rowing through basketball, had a, had a shift in sports. Um that kind of, well, I realised that I wasn't going to make the the British national rowing team. I wasn't good enough. Um, and so decided, right, you know, I'm, I'm half South African. So I kind of explored moving back to South Africa. Do I row for the, um, the national team there? But, you know, they're, they're, they only had one boat that would go to the Olympics. And I was like, well, I'm not good enough to make the Olympic squad in the UK. I'm not going to make the this SA one. Um, so I kind of, I took a year out. And within that year, I... Um, decided I wanted to study to be an osteopath. Um, and I was studying with a guy called Craig White, um, who was at the time the Welsh high performance manager. I'm well aware um, of Craig White. For, for the he's, Welsh national team. He's an amazing yeah, player. So, uh, he, he's incredible. So Craig, Craig's been, um, you know, he, he's mentored me and he's, he's, he's now a good friend of mine. And, um, you know, I was just like, super interested in, in what he did when I found out the role that he had. Um, and that, that led to an invite to the Welsh um 
test week against France. I think it was like 2010, Six Nations. Um, so I got to spend some time with Craig, see how he operated. And that then led me into doing an internship with Harlequins um, under John Dams, who was their head of performance. Um, and that kind of, that again, opened my you know, eyes into what professional rugby was like. Um, loved the environment, loved the um, the challenges that come with working with rugby players and all the different injuries that you get and trying to you know, get that performance of the team going throughout the season. Um, and so I kind of, I did that while I was studying osteopathy and stayed with Harlequins on a part-time basis while I was studying. And then in my, um, I finished with Quins in my, in my fifth year um, of study and Craig got in touch again and literally it was, an, it was an email out of the blue. Hey Ed, what are you up to? Um, have you heard of Georgia? I'm working, I'm consulting with World Rugby, planning their 2015 Rugby World Cup. We need a diverse skill set. Would you be interested? And, um, you know, it was uh, completely, you know, new Georgia, seen them play against England, had no idea where they were in the world. Um, and, you know, three weeks later, I'm with Craig in Georgia meeting everyone involved with the, the national team set up um, and, you know, very quickly decided that it was an adventure that I wanted to take, um, you know, completely, completely different to what, you know, like most people kind of think they, they go overseas and they want to go spend a year in Australia or something, you know, something safe. But, you know, Georgia was a, you know, just a, a wild adventure that, you know, I've, I've loved every minute of. So it's been, it's been nine years now that I've been in Georgia. Oh, wow. Because Craig White, he gets commandeered by World Rugby Disney, he goes to develop it, not developing, Tier 2 Nations and has like a, a, like a period of time with him because he's done Uruguay as well. He's done Georgia. I think he's done something with Fiji. I might be wrong there. Yeah, yeah. So so he, um when, when he left Wales in 2011, um, it was the same. So he literally, um, he quit, Quit with Wales. He was he was like going. I can't be studying osteopathy, going into management meetings with Warren Gatland, thinking about kind of cranial nerves and as well as you know what we need to be getting ready for the for the weekend. Um, he quit. He quit with Wales, and then he this was just before the 2011 World Cup. Um, and then he decided osteopathy wasn't for him, and he went off to live in Thailand for six months, studying um, studying nutrition, studying yoga, and World Rugby got him to become a consultant. And so he was spending, I think, you know, half a year consulting with, with World Rugby. And within that, he would spend time with various teams. One of those was Georgia. Um, and then more recently, he's been, you know, been involved with Uruguay and had their, um, their, their fantastic win against Fiji in the 2019 World Cup, I think, which is their, their kind of shock, shock the world theme um, for that game. And he's, he, he's an incredible, inspiring leader and he works really well with getting groups into harmony. And, um, you know, that's his, that's his passion. He's moved away. I mean, he's obviously renowned for being a strength and conditioning coach, but his, his real passion and expertise lie in the human development side and the kind of the, the, the group cohesion and unity. Okay, well, we've, we've, give, we've given credit. I mean, I get his, his emails, men without masks, right, lads, let's all get together and, and breathe and get in cold water and suffer hardship. But, um, but what I'm keen to understand then is you've gone to the Georgian national team. And like you say, I mean, I, I've spent some time playing in France and New Zealand and culture shock is a real thing. But Georgia, I don't mean any disrespect. It seems like when every Georgian's born, they break their nose and they're the hairiest people in the world. And they're all called Vili at the end of their name. <laughs> Like, how have you settled into the Georgians? And, 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 and I mean, you, you've given great answers. Just tell us about your experience 
on arrival and how you've ingratiated yourself into Georgian because the, 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 the national tongue is pretty difficult to speak as well. Uh, yeah, so it's um, it's it's completely different. You know, it, it's it's nothing like well, Georgia, Georgia nine years ago was nothing like anywhere in in kind of in Europe. And um, you know, so I arrived, and but they're, they're Georgians are incredibly welcoming. You know, they see they see a a, a guest in their country as a gift from God. Um, you know, so they, so, so, they you're, so you're a gift from God on arrival. <laughs> well, it, it, that lasts for a bit, lasts for about a month, and then they kind of treat you as everyone else after that. You know, like there's this initial kind of wow, like why have you come to Georgia, and you know what what's drawn you to our country? Because m- most Georgians want to get out of Georgia. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a hard country to live in. It's a it's a poor country. Um, you know, if you, if you don't have money, your your lifestyle here is very, very, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite bleak, you know, so the, I think the average salary here is like $400 a month. Um, and it's, it's hard, you don't have the government support that you'd be used to in the UK. Um, but they, you know, they make do with what they have. And, you know, my, my arrival here, they incredibly welcoming that you know they they've never had a they never had a full-time medical um access to the team so it was completely new for them to have somebody coming in to be able to available to their players and, and i think friday if you're if you're on the cusp of the british olympic team you're going to be quite a specimen i'm assuming you're six five plus yeah six four you know and uh 100 kilos yeah. and you know come from that kind of like that rowing background shoulders so, like boulders you know, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but they, they they don't like the lycra here, so I couldn't couldn't obviously wear my lycra, which uh, you know it's not <laughs> damaging. Um, but um, you know they uh, they they accepted me. They welcomed me. It's you you have to earn. I mean, a- any culture that you go into, you have to earn the people's trust. And in Georgia, you know that they're, they're very aware that people come to Georgia, the Georgia national setup. Um, because it's a it's a stepping stone for them career wise, right? Like they they expect somebody to come in for a year or two years, do a World Cup, then go off to some something greater. Um, you know, so there, there's a bit of initially there's this kind of hesitation from them to kind of go, well, okay, what what's this guy like? Is he is he using us or is he actually going to um, ingratiate himself and get used to our customs, get used to the way that we are, and actually help us? And once I, you know, once I proved to them that I was here to work for them, work really hard for them, and you know, I loved the culture, they they really accepted me, and so kind of, you know, and you, you go into a deeper level with them in in that sense. Um, but it but it has been tough, you know. Georgia's not the easiest place to get to, so it's it's a long way from um, it's a long way from home. It's not it's not easily accessible. Um, there's no more direct flights, um, you know. So you have to go through go through Istanbul. Um, so you can't pop home quickly and with a, with a rugby schedule, it's, it's full on. So, you know, so there's, it's, um, uh, but it's, it's a great, it's a great part of the world. It's a beautiful part of the world. Um, incredible, uh, incredible mountains, incredible lakes. If you like the outdoor lifestyle, it's, you know, it's got everything that you'd want. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the history is incredible, but they're culturally, they're very proud. They're very proud of the fact that they've had all of these nations try to invade Georgia. Um, you know, and they've managed to keep their cultural identity. They've managed to keep their language, which is the eleventh language, oldest language in the world. Um, Russian, Russia tried to get rid of Georgian. Um, so the Georgians are like, we've been able to defend our land, and that that translates into how they view rugby. They 
they see themselves as, as these warriors. And so rugby for them is a way for them to kind of, you know, to really embody that, that warrior kind of um, archetype that they, uh, that they resonate with, that they feel that they, they are. And so their rugby games are, we're defending our land. Um, and it, it's something that's it's ever present in them because every generation knows war. You know, the last war in Georgia was 2008. And before that, you had civil war in 1991. So all of the current players, they've all come from incredibly dark times. Um, they've had hardships that, you know, we, we just can't imagine coming from, from where, where we do. And the, the Ukrainian war going on now has brought that further into um, into their their mind because it's, it's in their head they're like, well, when is Russia going to invade us? We're we're clearly next because historically that's always happened. Um, so you have so you've got all of this going on all of the time, and um, you know for them rugby is a way to showcase the country that they're so incredibly proud of. Um, and it means a lot to them when they can, you know, when they can stand on a pitch with the Welsh, with the English, you know, and, and go head to head with them. It's, um, it's an incredible thing for them to be able to do. Ed, I mean, that's, that sounds like a fascinating journey you've just taken us on. Um, and in, from my point of view, I'm going, it's almost like you get access to unspoiled rugby, uh, no money. Well, because there's very little money. You literally are, you've got a group of players that are playing there because they love it, because they represent, like all the old school things that you would have talked about in a team huddle, and it actually would have resonated, whereas opposed to they're playing mm -hmm. against perhaps players where, you know, it is maybe more of a business. Maybe it's all like, I'm, I'm up here because there's a bit more money involved and, you know, half the team is doing it because there's pride in the flag and pride in the jersey, whereas the other half is like, you know, it's, it's a good way of making a living. Um, and did you ever Ooh. did you ever notice a difference in, say, not necessarily the Georgian culture, but a team culture that is more aligned with, say, we'd go and find a university where the guys are there because they love each other, they love rugby, and they want to play. Mm -hmm. um, but you, the difference is you get to do that at at, as, at an international level, as opposed to what you would have seen at Quinns, which you might have had guys that were like they were really focused on, say, contracts and their confidence would be blown because they weren't getting offered as much, et cetera, where they had like, it's almost what you'd call first word problems that you didn't have to deal sure. with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's really interesting because one of the, one of the most common things that foreign coaches have said when they've come into our environment um, and, and we've had some really good coaches come in and they, when they look at how our boys hang out with each other, they can't believe how such a big group of them, they all play card games together. They all play dominoes. They, they're all involved in, you know, you have these little groups playing PlayStation, but they all hang out together in the same space. And they've all grown up with each other. Um, they've come through, you know, rugby in, in Georgia's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a small country. So you play rugby, everyone knows each other as well. Um, so they, they have this, this brotherhood, um, which is, which is, you know, it's hard to, you, it's, it's hard to build that with it if, if you're if you don't have that within your culture um and so they the family's huge for them they they all uh the, the kind of um the meal times that they have with each other it, it's not a it's, alcohol is part of their culture but it's around the kind of this supra which is this big um this big dinner table lots of food they love telling stories and they love playing games and there's just this unity that exists um 
in their in their culture generally, which really kind of fits in well with rugby. And you know, going going to your point, you know, like, like the first first world rugby rugby problems. You know, for for Georgians, it's a rugby is a way for them to to have something in life. And we, we had a player who was playing for Worcester Warriors um, a few years ago, and he you know he said he was in a meeting, and they were they were discussing. I think the coach was discussing just you know things that they can, you know that they they you know they uh, they're privileged to be playing rugby, and you know that they've all got something to fall back on after after rugby. And you know this player was just like, I've got nothing to fall back on after rugby. Um, you know this this is my life. You know I will never earn money like this ever again. Um, you know, so there are these players who who want to escape Georgia and get into the French sides, get into um, into professional leagues elsewhere because they can. You know, it's life changing for them. You know, like if you play rugby in the UK, you probably you can. If you're not going to make it as a rugby player, you can probably make it you know as a hedge fund manager. You know, so there's 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 a different life for you, but in yeah. in rugby in, in Georgia, net. it's. Yeah, it's difficult. Okay, well, let, let's move it on. Let's go to the World Cup. Your experience of the World Cup with Georgia, hop across to France. How did it go? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, for me, there's there's two aspects to it. There's the um, you know the, the personal experience was absolutely fantastic to be involved with the World Cup. It's you know it's a rarity. You know, not everyone gets that that privilege to do it. And having the World Cup in France was has you know it's, it's been incredible. It's such a rugby loving nation. Um, from a team perspective. Disappointing. We had high expectations um, for ourselves. We didn't meet those expectations. Um, you know, I think we, uh, yeah, incredibly disappointed with with some of our results. And um, you know, I think it, that that's the that's the hardship within sport. I think when, when you know that you're you're capable of playing at a different level, we, and we didn't quite achieve that. We got close to it against Fiji. Um, you know, and that was you know, yeah, I did. think that was the closest true representation of what we were able to do. Um, but um, yeah, d- disappointing. Squad's team, the whole team disappointed. Um, but incredible experience. Well, you, you talk about the ex- incredible experience, and, and Coxie last week was alluding to the fact that one of the challenges in a World Cup is actually just surviving because you're in the hotel. Mm. The environment's the same. How how yeah. did you deal with that environment? Because I would imagine, as a tier two nation, you probably didn't have the nutritionists and and the people doing all the the, the logistics around. So you've got probably a smaller group of, together. Uh, yeah, does it become yeah. quite arduous? And it's like it, 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 the, the the problems are hard to deal with because it is that same environment with the same group of people, and you haven't got much else going on. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a it's a real um, you know it's it's difficult to manage that well. And as you say, with you know we we don't have um, we don't have a team nutritionist, we don't have a team psychologist either. We don't have access to a team psychologist. Um, and um, we you know I think where we were based so. Teams all have within this World Cup, which is different to previous World Cups have been involved in. Um, the team has a base, so we were based in Ile de Rey, just off um, uh, La Rochelle, and that was our base where we would we would start the week there. We would then travel to the um, the venue where we would be playing the game. So we kind of travel on the Thursday, play on the um, on the Saturday, then return to our team base. And I think from the outset that that team base was chosen a long time by our head coach and team manager, and beautiful setting, but it's just in the middle of nowhere. Um, so no access to coffee shops, no access to um, you know it's just to walk around the shops. It was a twenty-minute journey away, and you know so you start to get cabin fever in, the, in those situations. And in contrast, 
um, a friend of mine coaching Fiji. That Fiji were based in Bordeaux and like quite quite central, and you know he they were able to kind of manage that a lot easier. You, obviously, you need to be able to trust your players that they're not going to spend the whole time shopping and stuff like that. But when you're in a World Cup, you know the that's not really an issue, but it's you. You need to be able to keep the players stimulated in different ways. Yeah, you it's, know, it's, so it's, it's, it's the time away from the training field becomes the challenge when you're on a a big tour like that. And hundred percent, and you know, and we were um, we were in camp as most teams. You know, we were we were in camp preparation um, from the the nineteenth of June officially when um, players were released to us. But any. Any of our players playing Pro D2 or even top 14 who were released earlier, we started beginning of June. And, you know, we were, we didn't shift training venues. We were in Tbilisi the entire time. And, um, you know, I think that that is a potential issue as well. And, um, you know, so you do get, you do get bored of that routine, the monotony. And, you know, you try, you try to change it up, um, but it's, you know, it's difficult. It's, it's, It's a really difficult thing to do. So what what's next for you then? Are you sticking with the Georgians or are you after after a decent stint or what what are you up to now? Yeah, so I am um I'm currently my contract's till the end of the year and then I am I'm in the process of making a decision of what my what my next steps are. Um I think I need I need a break from the intensity of um international rugby because I, I also work with our franchise team as well. So the the Black Lion franchise team. Um so just that intensity of kind of being with both teams that are pretty much run on the same level um, and uh, take some time away and then reassess, really. Okay, Ed, this has been fascinating. Um, just very quickly, do you speak Georgian now? I do, yeah, I'm, I'm not fluent. I speak enough to kind of converse, um, but I'm not fluent. So what's your, fav- what's your favorite quotable? What, 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 what mot de jour can we give to the, the listeners of Two Locks and a Cox that when they come across Georgians, they can make them feel welcome? Ah, uh, we well, just got to say Gamajoba. Gamajoba, they've been more than impressed. Gamajoba's hello. Gamma, Gamma, Gamajoba. 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 Yeah, they've been be more than impressed. If somebody can remember that, they'd yeah. be very happy with that. Okay, and then final couple of quick questions for me. What's your best 2K? Uh, 601. <laughs> what? What's, what's the longest distance you've done in a training session? This is just, this is just my own personal. I, I love the rower, uh, so. Yeah, boy, it's a bit 20, 20. 2024k 20, on a on an ergo was a it, you were either straight through or or you'd break it up but generally it was kind of 24k straight through which was just monotonous and you you have to be able to you know switch off and just be really focused on trying to you know enjoy the cyclical nature of it because that's boring as hell 24k mental and what about crabs you ever caught any several yeah, 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 and not not where you'd want to. Yeah. Oh yeah, you see, you're deep. You're, you're row as well, aren't you, John? I just have a few friends at row. Oh man, I'm I'm no good on the water. I was on the best on the machine at the rugby club, and then Sam Skinner <laughs> took my record. I was heartbroken. I did, I did a six fourteen, and Sam Skinner did a six ten. I think Skins holds a few records. Yeah, yeah, that's Scotland international Sam Skinner. Whereas I'm just journeyman rugby player. Ed Barry, this has been an absolute yeah. pleasure. Um, I think we're going to have to get you back again. Friend of the pod, Annie Vernon, recommended we have a chat. Um, she obviously knows you from Olympic training. This has been brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Two locks and a cox from Devon's Radio X. Hi, I'm Don Armand, and I'm listening to Two Locks and a Cox.